You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, we just sang happy birthday to someone this morning. We so did a what, whole bunch of What us. causes us to sing? Well, and not just sing in the shower, but sing corporately as a group yeah, about something. from the heart, because yeah. something amazing has happened, and we want to celebrate it together. Well, something amazing just happened in Exodus, and we have a song today. On More Than Ink. Welcome to our dining room table again. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, we, we are indeed sitting here with cups of coffee. <laughs> You always say that. I know. But it's the truth. Because we really are here. And we're actually at a dining room table. Oh, and by the way, just uh, just to let you know before we get going too far, if you if you hear a weird sound in the background, oh. <laughs> it's it's our baby chicks. We have baby chickens that are in a box in the next room. And uh, they get kind of excited when they hear the Bible. So they might start. Well, they've uh, been thumping around a lot. They're just not they quite big enough to go outside and meet the big girls yet. Yeah, it's kind of fun. So uh yeah, that's not us making that sound. It's the chickens. <laughs> it's the chickens. Well, hey, today we are into chapter 15 of Exodus, and uh, the exciting action uh, came to a head last week as we crossed the Red Sea, and we watched all of Pharaoh's army get drowned by the by the water of the Red Sea. Just very dramatic. Yeah, and this is the uh, this is the definitive event in the life of Israel. This is right? a big this one. This is the one to yeah. which they look back through their entire history. Yep, yep. And this is the one also where in the in the, at the end of the well yeah in the previous chapter Moses chided them and said look you know you're going to see the salvation of the Lord you're going to see the Lord fight for you all you got to do is just shut up it's just, all you have <laughs> to do is be and silent and watch this and so it happened and now this is the response it's a great song very famous song and it's referenced uh, all boy. It's referenced even through into Revelation. Right? Yeah, so, I have that actually marked. Oh, do you? To to refer to later. Yeah, but so probably before we read it, uh, we need to just read the summary statement at the end of chapter fourteen. Yeah, because the last three verses of chapter fourteen say, "But the sons of Israel walked on the dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and mm. on their left. Thus, the Lord of Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians saved Israel, and Israel saw." the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That struck me as I was reviewing this earlier, Mm -hmm. that as a result of this single event, that the summary of that is they feared the Lord, right? They reverenced him properly, seeing what he'd done, and they believed in him. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which makes yep. what's coming up in the next couple of weeks all the more astonishing. But in any case, <laughs> that's their condition right now. Yeah. The, the yeah. morning that they've come through the sea and found the Egyptians dead. Yeah, and this this episode is uh, airing in the Salt Lake area on uh, the day before uh, Resurrection Day. Right. And so in, in a similar kind of sense, we celebrate the fact that all the battles have been done. Mm. They're won, you know, that Jesus yeah. has overcome. And so in, in a similar way that we sing those songs of 
joy on you know that day on celebration uh, celebration and that this is exactly the same response they're having as they're being saved from pharaoh so because they've looked death in the face yeah and come out alive yep and the victory has been won so that's the setting as we come into chapter 15 you want to read for us as we come into verse one and we'll see what the response is to seeing god saying in such mighty ways then moses and the people of israel sang this song to the lord saying I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That's a good place to stop. stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will sing because he's triumphed gloriously. I mean, how you got to have some kind of response when you see something like this. You don't just shrug your shoulders and say, okay, let's go off into the desert. Right. So they stop right. and they celebrate. And they, I like how they, the fact that they celebrate in song, you know, it sounds like it's almost spontaneous. In fact. Well, and you know, what, what makes us sing? Right. We yeah. sing for a lot of occasions. We sing happy birthday like we did this morning for somebody. Mm-hmm. And we sing, um, we sing songs of worship, but we also just sing songs for fun. We sing them when we feel like celebrating. We mm-hmm. sing them when we are together. Yeah. Singing is mostly a corporate activity. Right, right. So, so where you can join celebration together. Uh, yeah. That's why it became such a backbone in the Christian church, and it is here in the Jewish culture, well, too. Well, it is a cultural backbone for many yeah. cultures, right? Singing is common to humanity. Every culture sings. Yeah, and when and something one, noteworthy happens right. and you want to celebrate it together... You, you write sing. a song about it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so you, you can sing song. it in the future. And it occurs yeah. to me that throughout the scriptures, we have singing as our example, right? Jesus sang. Paul and Silas sang in yeah. prison. Um, the saints and the angels sing together in Revelation. Oh, that's right. We'll, yeah. we'll see that later. All creation sings, and God himself sings from Zephaniah 3. That's right. So, you he know, sings over us. Singing yeah. is important. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's part of God's creation the way He's made us. <laughs> yeah, and that's an amazing thing. Okay, that's enough talking about singing. Well, but you know, I find it interesting <laughs> just in this prelude at the beginning before He gets into the, the lyrics about what actually happened. Uh, there's no mention here about Moses's greatness or mm-hmm. Aaron's greatness or even to come here, Miriam. I mean, it's it, it's it's all about, it's all about who God. God is. So here we have this. It, it incredible experience that they witness with their own eyes and their response isn't to praise the leadership of Moses it's to right. praise God himself and so he's very particular in this word he uses in verse one they sang a song to, to the, the Lord. Lord this is to the Lord this isn't for anyone else this, this is, is the, the Lord, Lord by name this is yeah. Yahweh or Jehovah yeah. depending on your translation that you read and you know what that name shows up 12 times in this psalm yeah, because it's all about God. Over and over yeah. and over it's again. All it's about the Lord, God. the Lord, the Lord. What he has yeah. done, what only he could do. Yeah, yeah. And and surprisingly to some of them, it sounds like in verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting expression. Isn't the word is actually the Lord is a warrior. He's a warrior. He's, he's yeah. someone to be reckoned with yeah. for his power. And yeah. a, wise, a, a warrior goes out to save. Yeah. And here's these slaves that have just walked out of, you know, the Nile Delta region. They, I mean, they, they don't seem like they're soldiers in any kind of way who will fight for us and then the most powerful army in the world comes after them right and so it's just a very natural thing to say that we're not soldiers we're not warriors but the lord is a warrior but the i am yes yahweh the i am is my strength he's my song he has become my salvation and i will praise him because he has fought for me basically is what they're saying yeah yeah and yahweh is his name the i am 
Yeah, right? Yeah. Not any of the names of the gods of Egypt, which we have named repeatedly over the last <laughs> number of chapters. Yeah, we're right? tired of talking about them. That's why they yeah. said that it's Yahweh is his name. Yeah. It's not any of those others. Yeah. And, you know, I like, too, the fact that when he starts this in verse 2, he doesn't say that God has given us strength. No. Because they didn't exert any strength to overcome Pharaoh's army. They didn't have any strength. They didn't have any strength. (laughs) He doesn't say, God has given me strength. He says, God is my strength. The Lord is my strength. And that's a a vastly different kind of idea than Mm -hmm. the fact that God just strengthens me. Because... He is the strength overall. And so he's my yeah. song. That's an interesting connection that when, when we allow God to be our strength rather than just giving us strength, when we allow God to be our strength, then it results in a song. And, that's and don't happens. we, I think this is one place where we sometimes get, go astray when we're praying. God strengthen me. God mm-hmm. make me strong. Well, what's the emphasis of that? Prayer? Rather than saying my God, being strong. God, you, God, you be this. You yeah. are my strength. We yeah. see this again and again in the Psalms. You are my strength. You are my fortress. You are my stronghold. You yeah. are my safe place. Right? It's not God give me those things or make me those things. Yeah, it's it's quite a distinction when someone prays. They can pray, God help me to right. do something. And that's that's like saying, God, you just need to pour some power juice into me, and I'll get okay. it done. Okay, it's after not that. wrong to pray, God, help no. me. No. But uh, you know, are we praying that from what perspective? Right, right. God, the source of all strength. God, who is our help. God, who is our healer. Yeah, yeah. The best prayer is to say, God, you be the strength right. here. You, you are the strength. You be the answer here. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, let's push on in the song and find out what they're so jazzed about. Okay, yeah, because this first part is just really kind of a summary just, statement. It's just what the God intro. has done, and we are just going to celebrate with and, everything and in us. that's why we're singing, because Sing of what God, God has done. So now we're going to review the event. Oh, yeah. Starting in verse 4. Let's do it. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Wow. And then they turn their attention right back to God. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Your adversaries. Ah, Not our adversaries. Your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, and the floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. This is glorious poetic language. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, That's really exactly good. what happened, right? Yeah. The wind blew and the waters stood up. But this this picture is very, mm-hmm. uh, it's very poetically descriptive. Yeah. The enemy said, verse nine. I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I love the structure it's of really that, nice. right? There's yeah, the praise really nice. and there's God's response. What he does, he blows, he snorts, <laughs> blows yeah. the air. Yeah. And then there's this attitude of the enemy. I'll do this. I'll come after them. I'll take yeah, them back. I'll destroy feeble, them. Right? Yeah, assertion. And God just, whew, and yeah. sinks them in the sea. Yep. The enemies say, I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. Well, we've already talked twice here about the right hand of the Lord. <laughs> and here's the enemy saying, no, I'm going to draw my sword in my hand. Right. Yeah. No, you're, no, that's a bad deal. Okay. So the right hand of the Lord. Yeah. What does interesting that phrase, indicate? The right hand of the Lord. It always, it always in ancient cultures talked about your skillful hand right. in battle. Your the skillful, one the one that's very effective. Yeah. So here's your, here's your acting hand, your right hand, your skillful hand. And, uh, and, you know, even 
even that many times they'll talk about the fact that if I forget about such and such, you know, may my right hand lose its skill. So, right. so this is what we're talking about. This is the, the uber effective hand of God. Now, of course, God doesn't have hands. So this is an anthropomorphism, as they say. But nonetheless, what he's basically saying here is that God is very effective and skillful at what he does. I looked it up. I was curious. Yeah. The, the, right, hand, the right hand symbolism shows up over 50 times. In the Old Testament, I'm not surprised by so that. So this is this is the mm-hmm. effective, skillful hand of God. And, okay, now did you look into this? How many of those times refer to Messiah as the right no, hand? No, I didn't. Of God? Did you look into that? I didn't, oh, but nuts. we should. Okay, so listeners, that's something that you can do. <laughs> Take your concordance and find that right hand, and then track down. If there's 50 references, that'll take you a little while. Yeah, that's they're but everywhere. You should be able to scan through them pretty quickly and find out how many of them make reference to the right hand of the Lord who acts for our salvation as yeah. a person. Yeah, he yeah. is the right hand of the Lord, pointing to Jesus. Yeah, and this is this is indicating a God who is not distant from us and right. uncaring and unengaged. This is a God who's strongly and effectively engaged in our behalf. That's exactly what the right hand is supposed to be saying. So that's the fun thing about Bible study. You might have read the, read this phrase "right hand" before in other places, and you go, you know, that's that's showing up a lot of places. I think this I think this is the first time it shows up in the Bible chronologically. I think, I think. so. But um, but but the deal with Bible study is if it sounds familiar, you go, Hey, I've heard that before. Yeah, I wonder where, where else that, that happened. Yeah, where That's is a great that? discovery process of Bible study. You can, you, if you've got a great concordance or a Bible study computer software, you can just type in right hand of God or just right hand and find out where it shows up. Well, yeah. and in those times when it refers to the son or to Messiah, um, you know, we still use this kind of expression today when we say, Oh, this one is my right hand man. Right hand man. He's yeah. the one who makes things happen. Yeah. When I say go, he does it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's not a foreign idea to us, but right. we don't particularly use it the way the Hebrews did. And here's a challenge for you then. It says that Jesus sits on the right hand of God, <gasps> the right hand of the Father. So what does that mean? So I'll, we'll let you interpret that. Well, we'll let you noodle on that. Look since, that up. Yeah. Read those passages. Since you know what the right hand means, bit. the right yeah. hand is the effective, skillful side of action from God's oh, So anyway, we'll that. just let you you know think about that for a while. I love that. Okay, yeah. so part of our purpose here is not just to to speak the scriptures to you, listeners, but to enable you to begin to dig into them yourselves and discover, let, let the Spirit lead you into some fresh discovery from what you're, just from the yeah. text, just yeah. from reading it and observing it. Because as you're reading, you know, like this right hand thing, it'll occur to you, you'll recognize it and questions will rise in your mind and you can chase down those questions. Right. And that's what's fun about Bible studies. You can chase these things down and you you gain a, a greater understanding of what's going on. Well, the right hand of, of the Lord, the right hand, skillful, effective hand of the Lord is glorious in power. He says it's glorious in power and shatters the enemy. That's how effective God's hand is. So just, just as an aside, if you're in a really tough situation and you wonder how you're going to get out of it, hmm. you need to, you need to remember the fact that that well, you probably have an accurate understanding of how inadequate you are, but are you really recalling to your mind how adequate God's right hand is mm-hmm. to intercede? And we often forget that we leave Him out of the picture. I'm not sure we always do have an accurate idea of how inadequate we are no, until we are completely yeah. cornered and rendered helpless, like yeah. the Israelites at the Red Sea. Exactly, they had and no option. Suddenly, God places us in those positions in order to reveal to us how inadequate we are. Could could. It could very well be that God puts us 
in these desperate situations in order to glorify how adequate he is. Yes. Mm. Oh, I think that's true. Well, I thought becoming a Christian <laughs> was all about living an easier life and God takes care of everything so I never have to find myself in those situations. Well, well hmm, you know, no. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 3, there's no adequacy in ourselves. All our adequacies comes from God. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's what we're finding right here. God is adequate in the most impossible situation. Right. He is adequate against the most powerful army in the world. And with your back against the water, he is still adequate. Never underestimate God's power for his love to intercede on your behalf. So that's just what I'm saying. And wherever you are right now, that's really the takeaway from this right here. And they're singing about that. They are singing. Okay, so they go on singing in verse 11. Oh, yeah. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Oh, Oh, there it is, right? They're reviewing those Egyptian gods in their minds going, hey, none of them are like you. (laughs) Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand hand. and the earth swallowed them. Yeah. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode Mm. oh let's just stop there for just a second because that statement itself is going to echo down through all of the scriptures from this point on you god have led your people in your steadfast love that's that hebrew word chesed that devoted loyal love right right the people whom you have redeemed you bought them you avenged them you brought them out redeem always means buy you paid the ransom yeah Yeah. and you have guided them by your strength to that place where you live right he's brought them out to the place where they will learn to live to to your holy abode god the place where god lives learn to live with him yeah yeah no, it's, it's an amazing, it's, it's such a tender thing right here because this just isn't a God who's militant by no. nature. This is a God who's following his love, his devoted love for them, his chesed for them. He's, he's following that love and acting and interceding in a powerful, effective way to see his love uh, literally manifest in their life. Yeah, well, to, to bring his people to himself. Yeah, and to bring them to himself, right? to his that, holy abode. Yeah. That theme runs all the way through the scriptures. God wants to be with us and dwell in our midst. Yeah. And he wants us to dwell where he is. Yeah. And that's the that's the eventual destination in the promised land. It'll still right. be decades Which away. Which is a picture. Yeah. But even in their wanderings on their way to the promised land, God says, I'm still going to live in your midst. And we'll see that coming up in, in later chapters about how God says, I'm going to be with you and I want to actually, I want to actually camp in your midst right. as you're camping. So, That's so this the is, picture. We'll th- get to that. This is God's intention for us. Well, let me pick up from okay. here. We're in verse 14. So the peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. That's the Philistines, by the way. Uh, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of hmm. Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There it is again. Yeah. They are still <laughs> as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you've purchased. That's the redeemed. Uh. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Wow, he's bringing them home to where God lives. Well, did it strike you that suddenly we're not talking about what just happened yesterday anymore? We're looking into the eternal future. Yeah. The place that you have established 
uh, where you reign forever and ever. Suddenly we've like taken this, this single experience and said, God did what he said he would do. So he is going to do what he says he will do. This is just the first step to that end. Right. Right. Yeah. So you probably have notes about one of the most famous people coming up in the future who is terrified (laughs) because of this event. Rahab? Oh, well, yeah, but she doesn't show up in the story for a little while. <laughs> not, for, not for a while. But, but Well, she was a Canaanite. She was a Canaanite, right. and, and she is, I mean, she's decades down the road. Right. Here. You remember, right. She's, the, she's the woman that lives in the wall of Jericho. Right. right. And when the spies come to kind of check out the land at Jericho, she says, we know that your God's going to rule. We know that your God's in charge because right. we've heard about we've the heard Red it. Sea. Well, she had been hearing yeah. about it apparently for a whole generation. Exactly. Because 40 years from this event exactly. is when they encounter her. So when the when the uh, when the spies come in and say that they're from that nation that God split the Red Sea for, she goes, "Okay, you guys have won." <laughs> so I'm with you. Right. Your <laughs> so, God is the God of gods. So yeah. So interestingly, it says the inhabitants here have melted away, and that's exactly the phrasing that's used in Joshua right. too. When when she talks, um, right? You know, they say you know they melt away before you. So. So this, what he's saying right here is, is actually true. And we see it come to happen 40 years later when they come into Jericho. And she says, she says this very thing, the, the rumor, not the rumors, but the knowledge of what God did for you at the Red Sea, everybody knows. And so it's put fear and trembling in their hearts. And these other places, Moab and Edom, these are places they're going to walk through. And because of God's reputation, which, by the way, is his name, name always means reputation, because of God's name that's been very manifest here in what he's done for it's it's made their journeys that much easier as they move through into the promised land where god lives well and the lands they have to journey through edom and moab and philistia these are nations that are going to be well they weren't journeying through philistia but the philistines were going to be long-term enemies of israel about edom and moab well edom is the nation that grew from esau esau jacob and esau god rejected because he had already rejected god Uh, moab is the nation that grew (laughs) out of that incestuous union of Lot and one of his daughters. And again, God rejected them because they rejected God. So these are peoples, related peoples to Israel because they all come through the line of Abraham. But uh, it's interesting to me that they have to pass through these lands and it says these people are going to be aware of God's faithfulness, God's presence, and they are the chosen people and there yeah exactly and that and even still with those two, with those areas it's still decades away oh yes it's, but but the news will persist anyway we need, we need to finish let's get the miriam and then we can close this out this is great okay are you reading no go ahead okay for when the horses of pharaoh 19. this is verse 19 the horses of pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea the lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them but the people of israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea then miriam the prophetess the sister of aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing <laughs> and miriam sang to them sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea yeah. okay so who is miriam who is miriam well miriam is the sister of aaron 
and thus a sister the sister of Moses. of Moses. She's the big sister of Moses. And in fact, if you recall, way back when we started reading Exodus, where you know the baby Moses right. floated, chapter two, the sister of Moses is the one who kind of makes sure that the baby gets in the right. hands of Pharaoh's daughter, and she's the one who arranges to have her cared for by some Hebrew nursemaid, which might have been her or her mom. So, so the sister here is the one. Was this was this Miriam? We don't really know exactly. Mm. But there is no reference to likely. any other sister. Yeah, and in fact, in another passage, it looks like Miriam's the only sister. But isn't it interesting here that she's referred to as the sister of Aaron? Yeah. Not the sister <laughs> of Moses. Yeah, that is interesting. But What do you make of that? Well, uh, I'm still thinking about that. Uh, but but it. I also think a lot about the fact that it says Miriam the prophetess. The prophetess, yeah. And we know now, very little about okay, that. Moses is writing this. Mm-hmm. So uh, he is giving some sort of acknowledgement to his older sister as a speaker of God's word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's fascinating to mm-hmm. me. You mm-hmm. all who are listening can think on that yourself. But given what we're going to find out about Miriam in the coming chapters, uh, yeah. she is a very interesting figure in yep. the Exodus story. Yeah. Uh, but here she is leading the women out with leading tambourines and dancing and singing. This is verse one over again. All Sing over to again. the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and now we and have tambourines and dancing, so I guess that's okay too. Yeah. Okay, so we really have to wrap this up. Yeah. But, you know, what makes you sing? Mm-hmm. You sing in celebration to God? Yeah. When yeah. God delivers you, do you sing about it? And when do you not sing? Right? Are there times that you think I just can't sing? Can't sing. But can we remember what God has done, like Paul and Silas in chains in that yeah. prison in Philippi, singing hymns of praise to God yeah. through the night? And and this is a great example of a new song. Many times it says, "Sing to the Lord a new song." That's a song that comes out of your current new experience. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and and I'll just read for you a little bit from the beginning of Psalm forty because it fits this so well. I waited patiently mm. for the Lord. He inclined He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And listen to this. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's exactly what happened here. And that's the reason we sing. That's why we sing. We glorify God and we glorify what he's done in our life. And he put a new song in your mouth, a song based on his mighty hand in your life right now. And people hear it. And they hear it. People hear it. Unbelievers, people who don't know God, hear us singing God's praise. Exactly. And they marvel and want to know what's that about. So we are totally out of time. Come back with us next week, and uh, and, and the tide will turn, and oh, we'll, things will get kind of negative, but uh, it's not bad. So join us again next week on More Than Ink. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we're glad you're with us. Come back next week. Than Inc. is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Don't you find sometimes that a jingle gets stuck in your head? <laughs> well, yeah, but... Yeah.